Last week, we finished up a sermon series looking at the letters written by the Apostle John. It was a great series. You should go online and listen to it. I would encourage you to do so. But we have two weeks until Advent starts. Christmas time is almost here, but not yet. If you're listening to Christmas music, we'll forgive you for now. And I thought it would be appropriate to use these two weeks to talk about thankfulness. As I thought about this time of year, not only with Thanksgiving coming up, but also just the reality of uh, the culmination of a year, why do we not talk about thankfulness more? Why is it that we don't focus on thankfulness or try to to read about thankfulness or learn about it? So I've decided for the next two weeks we're going to look at different psalms and see what the Bible has to invite us into when it comes to thankfulness. What it has to say about how we should be changed, maybe to become thankful or more thankful. So this week we're going to look at why should I be thankful, and next week we're going to look at what should I do when I don't feel thankful. Okay, so why should I be thankful? What should I do when I don't feel thankful? And this morning as we hear this psalm read, I want you to ask yourself uh, this question, which maybe you ask around this time of year a lot, what are you thankful for? What are you thankful for? Let's give ear to the reading of God's word. A reading from Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God, and it is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Take his name. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. God, we come before you this morning, um, and we have another opportunity to hear from you in your word. And we confess, I confess, that I take that for granted. Take it for granted, the fact that we can come and know that you are speaking to us through the words of your scripture and the spirit that you have given to us. God, help us to be thankful. Help us to pay attention to what it is you are teaching us this morning. Help us to be drawn into the emotion of this passage, that we would be filled with joy and comfort and peace, and those things would lead us to be thankful. Pray that my words would fall to the floor and only your words remain. And I pray this in Jesus' mighty and powerful name. Amen. I say thank you a lot. As I knew I was going to be preaching on this, I actually started to pay attention day in and day out to see how often I say thank you. And I noticed that I say it in a bunch of different ways. For example, just like an obligatory reaction, sitting at a restaurant and a waiter or waitress brings me the food that I have previously ordered and will soon pay for, I say, thank you. Just kind of quick, no big deal. Sometimes as a cutting, sarcastic remark, scooting my chair in at the dinner table and I hit my knee on the leg of the table and I'm wincing in pain and someone says, oh, watch out for the leg, thanks. Sometimes it's just a default greeting. Walking into a building, there's five or six people and one person is holding the door for everybody. Just walk past the person and say, thanks. Quick greeting, no big deal. Or how about this one? In a trivial disagreement with someone about something and after a couple hours of disagreeing and arguing, the other person says, which happens a lot, oh, you're right. Thank you. I say thanks a lot. But actually, I'm not very grateful. What's coming out of my mouth isn't actually reflecting an attitude of thankfulness in my heart. 
Do you know how I know? Because thankfulness requires some attention to the past or the present, and I'm always looking for the future. In order to be thankful, you actually have to stop and pay attention to what you have, what's right in front of you, what's been done to you or for you in the past affecting you presently now. You have to be content in some way. And I'm always looking at what I don't have and how I can get it. I don't think it's too far of a stretch to say that all of us function in this way, right? Society pushes us in some regard and our own flesh push us to always look at what's next, right? Thankfulness carries a connotation, a connection to the here and the now, but we're always looking forward, going outward, upward, onward, onto the next big thing, right? I see this in my girls. When friends come to visit or our parents come to visit, they'll bring them something small, a little gift, they'll open it up, they'll look at it, play with it for maybe a second, and then instantly, what else did you bring me? And that's frustrating to me. I get frustrated partially because I'm embarrassed, but deep down it's because I know that I have the same lack of thankfulness in my own heart. We all have thankfulness that is temporary, it's fleeting, it dies quickly, maybe it even fails to blossom. We all struggle with this. But we admit that thankfulness is important, right? We have a whole holiday focused on thanksgiving, giving thanks, right? There's a whole historical part of it. We're trying to acknowledge the fact that the Native Americans selflessly saved the lives of the Europeans that were there uh, in their land. Yes, agree. But we've co-opted this in order for our lives to stop and to take one day to be thankful. Or if you grew up like me, one morning to be thankful because by the time lunch was over, someone had to do the dishes, the cowboys are going to lose the game, the aunt and uncle are going to turn off the TV and make you go for a walk instead, and you're not thankful anymore. We know thankfulness is good, but we also really struggle with it. We struggle to be thankful, to give thanks. This psalm is seeking to renew our thankfulness. The psalm serves as a call to worship, a call to give thanks. Notice all of the commands that call us to do something. Make a joyful noise, serve the Lord, come into his presence. But it also provides us reasoning for why we should give thanks. Psalms uh, were used both in the public corporate worship but also in individual worship, whether it was with the family or it was uh, by yourself individually. So think about singing this psalm out loud together like we do here in church. Think about singing it at home with your family, maybe as a tradition, or humming it uh, to yourself as you're doing household chores, right? The invitations of the psalm to worship and the reasonings to worship would become so ingrained in your mind like a, a, a catchy melody that you can't get out of your head. But instead of just the music, it would be the words, what it means, what it's calling us to do. It would begin to penetrate your heart. The goal of the song, the psalm, excuse me, is is to transform us from the inside out to make us thankful, to bring us into a place of thankfulness, and with that, restore to us peace and joy, right? This psalm tells us God is good, God is our shepherd. And God is present. Right? The three things that, that call to us as why we should be thankful. God is good. God is our shepherd. God is present. We're going to start by looking at the fact that God is good and what this psalm has to say about it. Now, good Presbyterians have three points in their sermon. I 
decided to make it three points, but this first point has two points hidden into it. Please don't report me. They'll be short, I promise. God is good. Now, before we get into the details of the goodness, we have to start with that first word, God. The main thrust of the psalm is contained in verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God. Now, if I was just sitting down and reading this as if it were some kind of, of fictional work or if it was some scientific document, I might read this and just move on. This doesn't seem very valuable to me. It's very straightforward and simple. But the reality is we have to pay attention to what the wording of this verse tells us. The Lord is the specific name that God gave himself when he revealed himself to Moses. He said, my name is Yahweh, the Lord, and I'm concerned for my people. They're enslaved in Egypt, and I'm going to rescue them. So the name that is being revealed is not just like a proper name, like, hey, my name is Stephen, but it's a name of relationship. Yahweh, the Lord, is God. That's what it says on the surface, but we also need to hear what the verse is not saying. If Yahweh is God, then nothing else, no one else is God. Right, this this verse three, right, the, the main thrust of the psalm serves to convict our hearts, to remind us that God, Yahweh, the Lord, is God alone. Because the reality is we live day in and day out serving other gods. We create functional gods in our lives to serve. We look to possessions or abilities or success or relationships or experiences, knowledge, respect, whatever it is. We set these things up in our hearts as God and we pursue them. We worship them. We allow them to dictate our thoughts and our motives and our actions. So when these things are working for us, when they're giving us what we're looking for, we can be thankful. Right? When I feel respected, when I feel valued, it's easy for me to feel thankful. When we open up our financial account and we see a good number in there, it's easy to be thankful. Right? When the kids are doing well in school, it's easy to be thankful. When we're going out with our friends three or four nights a week, it's easy to be thankful. When these functional gods are working for us, we can be thankful. But if they fail, if they stop giving us what we're looking for, if they begin to slip out of our reach, if we look at them and only realize we don't have what we want, it's a lot harder to be thankful. In fact, it prevents us from being thankful. We serve these other gods and they dictate to us whether we're thankful or not. Earlier this week, we were sitting at our dinner table, uh, the four of us, two little girls, six and three, and we're reading through a devotional. And uh, the devotional was talking about this night, uh, the difference between the good kings of Israel and the bad kings of Israel. The good kings of Israel read the law of God. They followed it and they told the people of Israel to worship God only. But the bad kings of Israel, they set up places where false gods, idols, could be worshipped. And one of the questions in this devotional said, what is an idol? And so I asked the girls, do you know what an idol is? And Michaela, who's six, was real quick. She said, yeah, of course, it's a golden cow. I said, you're right, that's right, from the story of the Exodus where Moses went up on the mountain and the people were afraid he wasn't going to come back down, so they melted everything. You know, I got all theological on her because that's what kids want. (laughs) And I said, but do we still have idols today? Are there idols that we worship today? And she looked kind of confused, like, no. 
And I said, well, the Bible tells us that if there's anything that we're spending a lot of time focusing on, if there's anything that we, we really, really want and we're going to do anything in order to get it, if there's anything that just upsets us when we don't have it, controls our emotions so much and makes us flip out, we need to pay attention. Maybe that is a false god, an idol that we're worshiping. And because I'm such a great teacher, she got it perfectly. 20 minutes later, as they were getting ready for bed, they asked, could we watch a family show on TV? And it had been a long day, and so we decided, no, we're not going to watch any TV right now. No more TV for today. Uh, we're just going to get ready for bed, read a book, and then we'll go to bed. You would have thought we said the world was ending. They started crying and screaming, throwing themselves on the couch. We just want to watch TV. You never let us have anything fun. We'll do anything to watch TV. And I said, girls, do you remember what we were talking about at dinner? If there's something that's taking our energy and making us super emotional when we don't have it and we'll do anything to get it that we want to spend a lot of time on, maybe we need to pay attention and see if it's an idol. And Margaret, who is three, goes, we want to watch TV, not a cow. <laughs> Boom. That's how I think about worshiping false gods in my own heart. It's not a big thing. I'm not bowing down to something else, so it's probably not a big deal. But this verse tells us right away, you need to remember I need to remember, I need to be reminded every single minute of every single day that the Lord, he is God and nothing else is. That's really important for us to get. And on top of that, another reason that we should give thanks to, to the Lord, to this God, verse five, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. We start by giving thanks for who God is, right? Notice the difference between saying God is good and God does good or God's actions are good. This psalm tells us that goodness is part of who God is. It's part of his character. It cannot be separated from him. We are giving thanks to God who is good, period, it cannot be removed from who he is. And that's really important for us to know and to believe, right? And this verse tells us that two outworkings of his goodness are his steadfast love and his faithfulness. And because goodness is connected to God as his character, and because God is eternal, his goodness is eternal, which means that his steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations, God's goodness has always been there and will always be there. God is good. It's important that this is where we start, giving thanks because of who God is. Because day in and day out, it doesn't always feel like God is doing good things, does it? It doesn't always feel like God is doing anything. So we have to start by giving thanks for the fact that the Lord is God and he is good. But what about those times where it doesn't feel like God is good, Stephen? You just skipped over that really quickly. That's a pretty big part of life. The second thing that this psalm calls us to see and to give thanks for addresses that. God is good and God is our shepherd. God is our shepherd. This is really important because it answers the next question. We give thanks because of who God is. Okay, what does that mean to us? 
Well, God relates to us in a specific way. And the author of this psalm chooses this analogy. Verse 3, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Now, granted, that analogy probably has more import, more weight in the society and the culture in which this was written. Because livestock played a much more valuable role, more prominent role in their culture. Uh, It doesn't in ours, right? And I came up with a couple other analogies. But I think the best way to address it is thinking about uh, owning a pet. Maybe you own a pet now, maybe you have in the past, maybe you haven't. I'm going to try to help you get an insight into this a little bit. Uh, I'm gonna, I, we've always had dogs in our family. Um, I can't say this is true about cats. I kind of get the impression that cats don't really care what you do or why you do it, but dogs do. When uh, A couple months after my, my parents got divorced, my mom took my brother, sister, and I to the Humane Society to adopt a dog. And so we were walking through, found the dog that we uh, all agreed on would be our new family dog, And her name was Sarah, and we were going to take her home. And as we were leaving, the Humane Society said, by the way, um, it might be hard to get her in the car. We think that maybe she was thrown out of a car as a puppy, and so we've never been able to transport her anywhere in a car. That would have been helpful when we showed up with our car to take her home. Um, And so as we tried to coax the dog into the car... She had no idea what we were doing. She had no concept that this was best for her, taking her from the Humane Society to our house to be with us, to be a member of our family. She wouldn't go. It took 20 minutes, and finally, my mom left and went and got some dog treats, and we did the whole E.T. Reese's Pieces style, dog treat, dog treat, dog treat, and then up in the van. Finally, she got in the van, we took her home, and it ended up that she loved riding in the van. But in that moment... She had no idea why we were doing what we were doing. That's some of the connotation of us being the sheep. Because sheep don't really understand why the shepherd is doing what the shepherd is doing. Right? Maybe you're in a, as a sheep in a field and the grass is delicious and sweet, but all of a sudden the shepherd moves you to a place that is dry and arid and all there are are bitter tasting weeds. Sheep don't understand why, that there was some kind of danger in that field. Right? Big life changes, as we've said, draw us to believe that God is up to no good or God is not doing anything at all. The loss of a loved one, an unexpected diagnosis, the loss of a job, friends moving away, an, a breakup, weeks and weeks of loneliness lead us to ask the question, God, what are you doing? Why would God allow this? The sheep don't always know what the shepherd is doing. But the the important thing for us to know is that the shepherd always has a good intention for the sheep. The shepherd is always watching out for the sheep, caring for the sheep. Jesus even said this of himself. In the gospel according to John, chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who doesn't own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Not only is Jesus telling us that the shepherd knows what is best, He's telling us that the shepherd knows what is best, which means when we're looking out at our lives and things seem dark and confusing and we don't know what's going on, we need to remember God is the shepherd and I am just a sheep. 
But more than just blindly trusting that God is doing what's best, and I don't know what that is, did you hear Jesus say that the hired hand leaves because he cares nothing for the sheep? Shepherds in this day had their livelihoods connected with the sheep. Everything that they were, who they were in society, their value was connected with their sheep. And in drawing this analogy out, what we're seeing is that God has connected his heart with the heart of his people. He not only protects his sheep, guides his sheep, loves his sheep, leads them in right ways, but he does so because he loves them. There is a connection between him and his people. He loves them, wants what's best for us. He protects us. He leads us, keeps us safe to bring us home, to be with him. Right? The psalm reminds us of the relationship we have with God. So when we read it or sing it, maybe we hum it to ourselves, whatever it is, no matter what is happening, how confusing it is, we are reminded that God is a good shepherd who loves his people, cares for his people, and wants to be with his people, which is really important. It's the third thing that this psalm tells us we should give thanks for. God is good, God is our shepherd, and God is present. This is all wrapped up here together in the psalms. It's not laid out logically, right, because this is poetry, And so it's all interwoven together. The psalmist says, the Lord is God. He is good. He is our shepherd. All there together. And then he says, verse 4, so enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Now we can hear the the language uh, giving us some sort of schematic, some sort of invitation into a location. And it's talking about the temple in Jerusalem where God told his people, I will dwell there. I will be there. And the way that you got into the temple was through a gate. And then you were in the outer court, court of the Gentiles. And if you wanted to go further in, closer to where God was dwelling, you went through another gate into the court of the women. And if you wanted to get further in, you went into the gate, into the next court, right? Like this is actually inviting people into God's presence. The psalmist is saying, when you see that the Lord is God, when you recognize that he is good, when you start to see him treating you as a sheep and he is your shepherd, go to him. Go to the place where God dwells. Right? We see this confirmed in the heading of the psalm, which I conveniently neglected to put in the bulletin. The heading of the psalm says, a psalm for giving thanks, which that Hebrew word for giving thanks, tadah, Could just mean that. Give thanks. A psalm for giving thanks, for thanksgiving. But most Hebrew scholars connect this with the peace offering for thanksgiving, which is recorded for us in Leviticus chapter 7, verses 12 to 15. It's called the Shelemim Todah, the thanksgiving sacrifice, right? And, And it was a thankful praise for divine benefits received, more particularly marvelous protection and deliverance. So if you felt like God had protected you or delivered you for something, if you recognized blessing in your life, there was a passage in Leviticus that said, go to God in the temple and give him an offering. Now we know that there were all these offerings for sin, for doing something wrong, where an animal was killed and burned up on the altar. But this peace offering for Thanksgiving was a bread or grain offering. So let's say that you had a wolf come and try and eat your livestock 
but the wolf died or was killed in some way and your family was spared that loss, you would gather three loaves of bread and you would go to the temple in through the gates, in through the courts, and you would offer those loaves of bread as a sacrifice. Now get this, this is really, really cool. One of those loaves would be set aside for the priests in order for them to eat for their meal. Another loaf would be sprinkled with the blood of the sin offering and then thrown into the fire, right? God's fire would consume it. But that third loaf, you would all eat it together. A family meal in the presence of God to give thanks. Doesn't that sound familiar? Isn't that amazing? And what this psalm is, is connected to that action in some way, almost like it's a traditional way to prepare your heart to give thanks before this Thanksgiving meal. That's amazing. It's like a, the, the tradition that we all have before we eat a giant meal for Thanksgiving, right? Most of the time, it's prayer. But the psalm doesn't sound like the prayers I was used to growing up. My family went and had Thanksgiving with my mom's side of the family, grandma, grandpa, aunts and uncles, and us kids. We'd all sit together. And I can remember being six or seven and someone asking, would anybody like to say grace? Well, I was pretty proud of myself and self-righteous already at six or seven. And so I volunteered. And of course, because when you're six or seven and you pray in front of your whole family, everybody's proud of you. Everyone said, that was such a good prayer. Oh, Stephen, that was good. And my self-righteous idols just turned on. And so every big meal after that, I was the one who prayed. Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, Easter, birthdays, whatever it was, I was the prayer. Now, as everybody grew up and got older, it just became the default. We sat down for Thanksgiving, and Stephen was going to pray. But what I learned was that my grandfather, Grandpa Larry, by the time Thanksgiving lunch at 1.30 or 2 was eaten, he was already pretty hangry. And the last thing that he wanted was self-righteous grandson Stephen to take his dear sweet time praying one of his self-righteous lengthy prayers. But he was caught in a conundrum because no one else in my family wanted to pray and none of them wanted me to pray either because it took forever. <laughs> that was the tradition of preparing ourselves for a Thanksgiving meal that I remember. I wish I had known about the history of this psalm and could have used it because it's so short. It's so easy for us to remember and so easy for us to use to draw ourselves into worship and into thanksgiving with God. But that's not for us, you might say. That was just for Israel, right? That was just for the time of the temple, right? It's inviting them into the temple and we don't go to the temple anymore. God doesn't really want us to spend time with him now, does he? Actually, the opposite is true. God wants to be with his people so much. He wants you to be with him so much that a building, a temple, wasn't enough. Instead, he became man to be with his people. The Bible tells us that God took on flesh and dwelt among his people to show them how much he wanted to be with them. And because God wanted to be with people more than just the five to 10,000 people he interacted with in his life on earth, Jesus died on the cross and rose again in order to declare to you and to me that we can go to God. We can enter into his presence really right now. 
there's this little storyline in the recording of Jesus' death that we talk about sometimes around Easter, that the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, as many gates and as many courts as you could go into, no one could get into the actual presence of God. There was a giant, very thick curtain. But when Jesus died, that curtain was torn in two. It was ripped in half, showing that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, you and I now have access into the immediate presence of God. How do we do that? Through prayer. Through gathering together and singing. Through taking the Lord's Supper. Through baptism. Right? These are the ways that we interact with God really in his presence now. When we see this psalm tell us about God being good, our good shepherd, it also tells us that God is present. And drawing us into God's presence are all those things that are true about him. His goodness, him being a shepherd to us, it changes who we are when we enter into his presence, when we pray, when we read about him in the word as the spirit changes us. This is all turning us into thankful people. Horatio Spafford was a lawyer in Chicago in the late 1800s. In 1871, during the great Chicago fire, his two-year-old son died. In 1873, the economy crashed and his law practice went under. He decided he had no more left here in the States, and so he sent his wife and four daughters to Europe. He was going to move and become a lawyer there. And on their journey across the Atlantic, their ship hit another ship and sank, and his four daughters drowned. Left alone in Chicago, his church community said, obviously something is wrong with you, and we don't want you to be a part of our community anymore. As he followed his family across Europe, in his ship, the captain informed him when they were over the spot where their ship had gone down. And he, being changed and transformed by his knowledge of God being good and God being a shepherd and God being present, led him to write this song. That's a hymn titled, It Is Well. We've sung it here at Grace many times, but I want to read a few of the stanzas because it shows, it illustrates what it looks like to allow these truths about who God is, how he relates to us, and his invitation to meet with him changes us. Spafford wrote, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. We can hear the knowledge that the Lord is God, that he is good, that he is our shepherd, and that he is present. Transform the emotion 
from sorrow, from pain, from suffering and hopelessness into trust and faithfulness. And there at the end of that verse, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. Let's pray. God, we come before you and we long to be changed in this way. We long for the truth that you alone are God, that you are good, that you are our shepherd who cares for us and leads us and protects us, that you invite us into your presence. We want to be changed by that. We want to be thankful. But God, we know that we cannot do this on our own. We know that we need you to remind us of the truth of the gospel, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but Christ obeyed perfectly and he died the death that we deserve to die and he rose again. God, I pray that that would bring us joy, that that would bring us peace and that it would lead us in this day, in this season and for the rest of our lives to become thankful. We thank you, we thank you We thank you for who you are, for how you deal with us, and for inviting us to be with you. I pray this in your son's mighty and powerful name. Amen.